Y'all get me in my feels. Guys, can we take just a second and just give our choir just another round of applause? I sat and I got to watch. Now, I can't see all of you guys because I'm up here, but I, I literally sat there just a moment ago and I watched the brokenness and the joy just being shouted out from our choir. Is that not encouraging this morning? That is awesome. Thank you, guys. Well, guys, this past weekend, if you guys were looking for me, but you may not have been, I wasn't here. Y'all probably sat down back. Um, but last weekend, we had our, our youth camp. We had opportunities to go to Pisgah, Alabama. We went uh, with First Baptist Church of Weaver. And we got to spend the entire weekend with 102 people crammed into bunks in the middle of nowhere. It's joyful. It was wonderful. But in reality, we had 76 students who were there with us. We, we really focused on, on what it means to guard your heart, as listed in Proverbs 4.23. And that's really where we spent our time. But what we did for the weekend is we broke all of our students and our leaders up into eight different teams. And we got to compete against one another. They all had their own colors, and they competed against each other for the golden toilet seat. It was awesome. You guys are excited about that, weren't you? But the, the point was about the toilet seat, obviously. That the point was to be able to see people work together, to be able to see two different churches, two different bodies of believers come together. And, and as a leader, that's something you're always kind of concerned about. That's something that, that both Winston from First Baptist and myself, we were, we were constantly thinking about it. We tried to be as intentional as possible on how we match these groups together. We, we looked at age, we looked at um, looked at different grades, looked at different experiences in life because we, we kind of know a lot of our people. And when we put them together, we couldn't help but wonder what is about to happen. Because let's just be real. The majority of the time, not just teenagers, but adults, we like our circle. We like our bubble. So when we put these people who don't know each other at all together, you can't help but think one of two things is going to happen. Either they're going to get along, they're going to join together, they're going to work towards a common goal, and they're going to grow, which is actually what happened, or... You're going to see not eight teams, you're going to see 16 teams clicked off by their respective churches. And that's what we're afraid of. That's what we were, we were kind of wondering if that was going to happen. Just by God's grace, it didn't happen. We had a wonderful weekend. But the reason I tell you all that is not to brag about youth camp, because it was awesome. That's not the reason I did that. I wouldn't tell you guys that it was awesome. Um, I wouldn't put that out there. I wouldn't try to publicize youth camp. I wouldn't try to tell you guys that the youth ministry here is awesome. I wouldn't do that. That wouldn't be fair. That would, that, would be, that would be rude. I wouldn't do that. But the reason I tell you that is because Pastor Mike last week talked about discipleship. You guys have got to experience that. One of the things that he pointed out was that the world itself is discipling you. You're being discipled in some shape, form, or fashion, whether you liked it or not. The only thing that we really have a say in is who's discipling us. Either we're being discipled by the church or being discipled by the world. That is, it's a truth that we cannot avoid. 
whether it's in, in uh, an intimate gathering like this, or whether it is by the, the media that we see, or whether it's by the, the ball games that we watch, or whether it's the, the Netflix, or whatever. Whatever we're watching, we are being discipled by something. That's where he spent a lot of his time last week. So that brings me to, to the thought that every one of us have a question that we're trying to figure out. You may not realize it, you may not even consciously do it, but when we're looking at activities, when we're looking at phases of life, whenever we're looking at anything that we do, we ask a simple question, does this bring value to my life? Does where I'm going, does what I'm a part of, does who I'm in relationship with, does that bring value into my life? So, our question for today is this. What is the value of discipleship? What's the value of having an intimate relationship with believers where you can grow? What's the, what's the value in that? Is that something that I can really throw myself completely at? Or is it a waste of my time? But before we understand that question, we have to understand what it value. That's, that's how we prioritize everything. That's, that's what we spend our time looking at. So... If we really look at our life, each day does this, doesn't it? Each day brings new obstacles. It's like an obstacle course, really. For some of us, it's a little bit easier than others. But it's an obstacle course. Life is, is, is constantly us having to figure out, okay, so this is here. I've got to make my way around this in order to go to the next thing. But as soon as we figure that out, we know at 7 a.m., Every day, there's this obstacle here. Cool, I can make my way around that obstacle. But what happens between Monday and Thursday, we've got a rhythm going, right? We, we know, okay, cool, 7 a.m., bam, I'm missing it. But by Thursday, then we have something here. We have a new obstacle. We have something different that jumps into our life. We have something that we, we haven't prepared for. So we have to reevaluate. Or what will happen is that we'll spend all our week, all our month, all our year figuring in a pattern this is how the school year is going to go. This is how the work year is going to go. This is how the church year is going to go. All these things, we plan them out, and we have a rhythm going. We're just bam, bam, bam. I got this. We're good. Then what happens? Something in life happens, and it all gets thrown around. Our pattern means nothing anymore. Our rhythm means nothing anymore. We, we spent all this time figuring out the best way to navigate life, and then life just rearranges. Just like that. I want you guys to think about that for a second. I want you to think about how has your life just been turned upside down recently. I guarantee every one of us could say some situation or some story that would show that our life has been flipped upside down. Then we have to ask this question. Okay, so I've got to make it around here. I've got to go here. So does blank have value? Whatever it is, does the ball game have value? Does that extra 20 minutes in the morning to drink my coffee, does that have value? Is that a priority in my life? So that brings us back to our original question. What is the value of discipleship? Guys, we're, this is something that we're realizing in the church today is that we have allowed for our, our large group gatherings like this one to be here and our 
Discipleship relationships are here. That's where we are in, in our church. And, and if we really pay attention to it, in, in the New Testament biblical church, it should be here. Not to say that, that our larger gatherings don't have value. They do. They're super important. But they should not hold just a, a ton more weight than our intimate discipleship relationships. They should. But that's what's happened in our church. Does it have value? Okay. Does discipleship help me become a better parent? That's a question we have to ask ourselves. Does discipleship help me become a better spouse? Does discipleship help me make it through that stormy season that we don't really understand, that we're probably angry about, that we just don't understand why this would happen to me? That, that family issue that we're struggling through, that relationship that's just falling apart, that, that financial situation that we just can't seem to figure out. How does discipleship play into that? Majority of us would say it doesn't. Thus, the reason why it doesn't have a priority in our life. The reason it's not a priority in our life. We don't believe that the discipleship, that those relationships that we can have really hold any value in the life outside of our church. We think, okay, that's great. I can grow. I can learn about Jesus. I can go have coffee with somebody. That's great. But that doesn't help me pay the bills. But that doesn't help my marriage. But that doesn't help my family. It doesn't help my kids that I'm trying to learn how to teach. I'm trying to learn how to guide them. I'm trying to show them the best way to live this life so that they can be pleasing and honorable to God. That doesn't help me get them to the field. It doesn't teach them about teamwork. The reality is that all of these things, every problem that we have, whether it be big or small, can be worked through through a discipleship relationship. We just don't see the value in it because we've never looked at it. We look at Jesus' life. Matthew 26 is where we're going to be this morning for a little bit. I'm going to bounce around a lot. But we look at the life of Jesus. We look at the three years of his ministry. Uh, of, his, of his earthly ministry, and we see something very powerful that I think that a lot of times we neglect to pay attention to. We see, if we look throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus addresses a large group of people a very few times. Very few times. He hardly ever does it. But, we see throughout his entire three years, he made a choice. He made a very specific choice to do life with 12 guys. To do life with 12 guys. They, they, they were there. They saw they saw everything about him. But what we end up seeing even more so than that when we go to Matthew 26 is that this is the part of Jesus' life where he is the most broken. This is the point in Jesus' life where he knows what's about to come. He even admits, I don't know if I can handle this. What does he do there? He has the twelve come with him to the garden. But then, he takes an even smaller group of men. The inner circle. The original D group. He takes them with him. And this is what we see in Matthew chapter number 26. It says in verse number 36, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. 
And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Let's pray together. Father, I love you. We love you. And we just ask this morning that you will help us to see the necessity of doing life together. The necessity of instant relationships and the roles that they can play in our lives. So that we won't blindly say we want to be disciples, but that we will be equipped in such a way to do Father, we love you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, we, we look here and we see a brokenness. We see a sorrow that is in Jesus that we really haven't seen a lot before. I remember specifically when Passion came out. Everybody remember when Passion of Christ came out? That was rough. I, I was young, but I remember going to the movie theater and watching it with my dad. And I remember looking at my dad as he sat in the, the chair. And I remember watching, and I, I became abrasive because he's sitting there, and he's rocking back and forth. During that scene, whenever they're beating Jesus, he's rocking back and forth. And he's got his hands, and he's just gripping on just as tight as he can. I can just see it in him. I see everything about who he is coming out. The anger that's coming in him. The, he, he wants to go to war. He wants to go to war. And I'm sure that's how a lot of us felt. It was hard. It was difficult. For those of us who have a little bit more of a spiritual experience than other people, it was probably convicting. Because really, it's one of the most accurate depictions of what Jesus was gone through. Probably not exactly, but it's, it's pretty rough. And I remember as a boy looking and thinking to myself, man, how can someone go through this? I don't understand. I was so young, I, I, I don't even know that I had accepted Jesus yet at that point. But I remember watching it and I remember thinking to myself, this is awful. But now as an adult, I look back on that scene You know what I see in that scene? I see hope. I see hope. Not because of the, the, the general way that we look at it. We know that he goes, he's crucified, that he dies, and that on the third day he comes back. That's, that's exactly where our hope should lie. But that's not that point for me. This is the point for me where I find hope in that scene. It shows me he was just like me. It shows me that he it shows me that he cried. It shows me that he was upset. That he was confused. That he was human. We experience fear and brokenness just like him. That's what I see. Have any of us been whipped by a cat of nine tails? Probably not. If you have, come talk to me. I'd love to kind of know more about that. Um, but in, in reality, we've never experienced that type of, of pain. But we see that he has the same pain. He has the same brokenness. He has the same confusion. It says it clearly in the text. It says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Say, guys, I'm broken right now. Please don't leave me alone. We know without a doubt that Jesus is 
the Son in the Trinity, that He is God on earth. But in that moment, He said, Guys, can, can y'all just stay with me? Can y'all just stay here with me? Because I don't, I don't really know what, I don't really know how to do this. I don't really know how to, to navigate this. So whenever we look at it and we say, okay, I'm broken like that. I, I, I'm confused like that. I don't know how to deal with that. So if, if Jesus, being the Son of God, being God incarnate, literally said, guys, please don't leave me alone. Why is it that we try to deal with our issues alone? What? We have the body of Christ. We have a perfect example of who Jesus is and who he was, and he didn't even try to do it alone. So why are we trying to fix our marriage by ourselves? Why are we trying to fix our finances by ourselves? Why are we trying to, to shepherd our children by ourselves? Why are we trying to overcome addiction by ourselves? Why are we trying to pull ourselves out of that sinfulness that is back here in the closet, in the back room of our homes, by ourselves. Because we're ashamed. I want to tell you this morning, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Don't, don't allow for that to stay inside of you. You say, okay, that's great. That's wonderful. What does that even mean? Like, you can keep talking about discipleship. You keep talking about all these things. I hear that all the time. Discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. What does that even look like? Well, Jesus surrounded himself with a small group of people, intentionally. He did life with them for three years. <clears throat> but this is the thing we have to be willing to do if we enter into one of these relationships, or some of these relationships. We have to be vulnerable. We don't like that. <clears throat> Us Southern folk, we, we, we're hospitable, but we, we're not vulnerable. We know how to figure this out. If it's broken, Give me some duct tape. I can fix it. See who I am. We don't like being vulnerable. But this is another thing. We don't like surrender. We'll fight tooth and nail to the last breath. We don't like surrender. That's not who we are. We have to be willing to be vulnerable and surrender. We see this in Matthew 26, but we also go forth, and, and these are the three relationships that we're going to talk about today, guys. And if, if you write anything down, write these three down. This is this is kind of the core of what discipleship looks like. We need to have three types of relationships this morning. We need to have a Paul. We need to have a Paul type relationship. We need to have a Barnabas. We need to have a Barnabas type relationship. And then we need to have a Timothy. So we have a Paul, a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. Great. Three biblical names. Good dudes. Why do I need to look like them? This is why. We look at the first relationship, the Paul type relationship. This, in our, in our group of people, these, these are the three types of people that we need to have. These are just the examples that we see in Scripture, and they're very clear. The Paul relationship. This is the growth relationship. This is the growth relationship. This is that person who's your mentor. This is that person that is, is not afraid to look at you and say, what are you doing? Sometimes we don't like being asked, what are we doing? We need to be asked, what are you doing? Paul himself would have referred to himself as the chief of sinners. We look at 1 Timothy 1 15, that's what he says. He says, of the sinners, I am the chief of them. But we see in, 
his life, his passion and his, his, his just resolve towards leadership, towards growth, is just unparalleled in the New Testament. Who he is, it's, I wouldn't say it's flawless, but it's, it's, it's intense. One, we talked about it in Sunday school this morning, is that a lot of people with Paul, if you've really read Paul, you either love Paul or you hate Paul. If, if, you're, if you've really studied, those are the kind of the two extremes, because Paul's black and white. Paul is that guy. He's not really worried about the way you feel about it. He's not really worried about if it's going to hurt your feelings. He's worried about the kingdom. We see that super clearly. We, we even see, I love this, in Philippians 1, 12 through 14, this is what he says. This is intense. I love it. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the kingdom. Or to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Verse 14 says this, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He's intentional. We see numerous accounts of when Paul is, he's in jail. He's locked up. He's in a bad spot. He's in a spot that quite none of us in this room have ever experienced. Imprisonment for his faith. But in the midst of that imprisonment, he always wants to make sure he's saying the right things, that he's, he's pointing people in the right direction. Whenever he's talking to the church of Philippi, he's like, guys, don't be discouraged by my imprisonment. This is a part of it. This is a part of, of, of what I've signed up for. And guess what, guys? I'm joyful in it. Because while I'm here, I'm getting to reach out to the guards. I'm reaching out to the prisoners. I, I, I'm here and I'm being intentional. So don't allow for my burden to weigh you down. But be encouraged. We've all got a call. Or we all should have a call. We need someone who will hold us accountable. We're doing things that are dumb. Let's just be real about it. The second relationship that we look at is a Barnabas type relationship. This is our encouragement relationship. This is our encouraging relationship. Barnabas, if you, if you look at the Greek, it, his name literally means the son of encouragement or the son of comfort. That's who Barnabas is. The cool thing about Barnabas, though, is we really don't know a ton about Barnabas. But we know enough. We see him kind of in the background in a lot of situations. And a lot of people would even say that he was below Paul. But that's the relationship we need. If he was not below Paul, he was walking through life with Paul. He was that encourager. He was that, that force that when things were going not so well, he's there. He's that person you can cry with. He's that person that you can be open with. He's that person that whenever life is hard, whenever we are going through those difficult moments, he's the person we run to. Acts 4, 34-37 says this. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, for as many 
as were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Verse number 36 is where I want to pay attention. It says, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas, at some point, the, the context tells us that he was a man of wealth. He was a man of stature. Yet, when he, see, when he sees a cause, when he sees the, the apostles, when he sees the cause of Christ, he doesn't cling to that love. He doesn't cling to that stature. Yet he goes and sells one of his fields and brings all the money to the people. We also see throughout the New Testament multiple accounts where Paul and Barnabas are together. Where they walk together. They do life together. The same way that there would have been Jesus and in the inner circle, we see Barnabas being there. If it were today, Barnabas probably would have been that first call when he got locked up. If he wasn't with him. If it would have been today, Barnabas would have been the one that he would have called when the bills were getting high and, and, and maybe the relationship at home was starting to get tense. <coughs> And whenever we're worried about what's going to happen next, Barnabas is the guy to call. You can have multiple Barnabases. But who is that person in your life? I want you guys to think about that for a second. Who's that person you run to? And even more so than who is it? Is that person equally yoked with you? Is that person a believer? Is that person a strong, faithful servant? Maybe not. The last relationship that we see is a Timothy relationship. This is the mentorship relationship. This is the one that maybe we're not as comfortable with. We, we, we're okay with having a mentor. We're okay with being kind of told. We're even okay with having friends. We love friends. But what about when it's time for us to take all of what we've learned and all of what we've experienced? What if it's time for us to take that and teach someone else? Oh, but man, I'm not a teacher. Oh, man, I'm not good with my words. Oh, but man, I don't know what I would say. I'm not suggesting getting up like I am in preaching. I'm suggesting walking through life and showing someone, hey, this is where I've been. This is what I've gone through. I want to help you avoid those things. I want to help you walk through these things because you're going to face them. And maybe whenever I face them, I wasn't ready. Maybe I can help them. This is the relationship that we see between Paul and Timothy. Paul, really, if we look at it, would almost be like a spiritual father to Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor. 
he was he was he was flock uh, shepherding the flock, and there were times in his life when he didn't he didn't know if he was doing it right. There were times in his life whenever he was getting scared, when he was having to face adversity from the church because of his youth. And that is why I look at First Timothy chapter number four, starting at verse eleven, for this example, because guys, this is the relationship that I needed when I first started ministry. This is the relationship that I still need. I need all three. This is the one that really helped me. And this is one of the very first passages of Scripture that the pastor that, that mentored me shared. First Timothy chapter 4, starting verse 11, says this. Command and teach these things. Let, this is the verse, let no one despise your youth, but set the believers as an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, Period. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scriptures, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Verse 15. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do you guys have these people in your life today? It's not super fiery. It's not super emotional, but it's a question. A serious question. Do you have a Paul? Do you have someone in your life that is mentoring you through something? That is that person that you, you run to when you need advice above all else? A godly person. Do you have a Barnabas? Do you have that person that you can do life with, that you feel that you can be vulnerable with, that you can surrender around, that you can be yourself? You feel comfortable in doing that. And do you have a Timothy? Do you have someone that you have taken under your wing and are showing them the way? Guys, one of the things that I do want to... to point out is that these three relationships are not suggested relationships, but these are mandated relationships. These are the type of relationships that can allow for us to make it through life in a whole lot better shape than without them. That, that's, that thing that's going on at home, that thing that you're holding inside of you, that thing that eventually is going to explode and it's going to cause so much more damage than it ever would have if you'd have got it out early. That's what discipleship is for. Do you have these people that when you are broken, which for me is a lot. I'm a very emotional person. I don't know. I cry watching the notebook. You don't have to go celebrate that. I'm now being recorded. That's on the internet now. <laughs> But I'm an emotional person. I need those people in my life. And whether you're an emotional person or 
whether you are not, you still need it. So I go back to our original question. What is the value of discipleship? And the answer is that it is a, a greater value than any other relationship you have. It should be a priority in your life. And if it's not, I challenge you today. Make it a priority. If you're holding on to something today and you've been you've had it tucked away, let go of it today. <laughs> Guys, and in the weeks and the months to come, we're going to make available to you guys opportunities to be a part of discipleship groups. We're going to make, make available for you opportunities to be in these relationships. But guys, it doesn't start with us. It starts with you. Reaching out. Loving on people. It takes you reaching out and saying, hey, I don't know what you're going through, but if you allow me, if you'd allow me, I would like to walk through you. It'll be a safe place. I know you're hurting. But no. That what we talked about stays between us. Because this is your life. And if you would be willing, I would love to be able to do that with you as well. Because I'm hurting and I'm happy. It'll solve the issues in your home. It'll solve the issues in your heart. Maybe not the way we'd like for them to be solved, but it will allow for us to find a solution to those things. But before we enter into those relationships, we have to know that Jesus loves us and that he wants the best for us. So guys, I challenge you this morning, lay your burdens down. Enter into those relationships, but before you enter into one of those relationships, you must enter into a relationship with Christ. <coughs> Pastor John and I will be down front. Guys, this may be a little bit different than what you're used to. But I believe it's something that we need to hear. Pastor Mark feels like it's something that we need to hear. We need to condition our hearts for this path. Let's all walk out together. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you for opportunities like these to be able to preach your word. And Father, though we may not have had a super emotional experience. It is an experience that we have to we have to consider. It is something that we deal with every single day. The obstacles of life, the struggles that we deal with, the things that are happening at home and in our heart. Father, we need to find ways to be able to work through those. And Father, without each other and without you, that's impossible. So Father, my prayer this morning is that those who are here that have heart and hearts, those who are here that are hiding away a burden deep, deep within themselves, I pray that they will come, that they'll lay it here, that they'll leave it here, and that from today forward, they'll surrender. They'll be vulnerable. They will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you love them, and that if they're not following you, they'll make that decision today. They'll say, I want to follow you because I want to have those types of relationships. I want to have relationships that have meaning, that have value. Father, we love you and we just pray for a heart change today. Please, Father, 
saves us, loves us, comforts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.